Hey there, friends. How's it going? My name is Kyle Devlin, and I am the host of this podcast. This is the Having a Blast podcast. Having a Blast is a pop punk and emo podcast where we'll be doing a deep dive on important albums and bands. We'll also be speaking with band members, producers, and friends. If you happen to like what you hear, if you could do me a huge favor, perhaps give us a five-star review. That just really helps get the algorithms working in our favor, and then more people can hear the podcast. Or Another thing that really helps us out is if you share it with a friend. If you've got a friend that enjoys this type of music, pop punk and indie, I'd greatly appreciate it. All right, without further ado, let's get into it. friends. I hope you all are doing well out there. Welcome to the show. I'm very excited. On today's episode, I'm speaking with my good buddy, Johnny Hamlin. Johnny and I connected on social media last year. We talked about fitness originally, and it was shortly after that in which I realized that I had already been listening to Johnny's band, Lights Over Bridgeport, for a few months. Nick Diner from The Swellers posted about the band, and that's when I first found out about them because he produced their newest record, Better This Way, and I really loved the record. Lights Over Bridgeport is a band from South Chicago. They put out one of my favorite records of 2020, so definitely go check it out if you haven't already. Over time, I noticed that Johnny was really into lifting, and we chat periodically about fitness and music, so I knew I wanted to get him on the podcast at some point. And we talk a little bit about fitness and what that has meant to Johnny, his methodology, and his journey when it comes to that. We talk about his band, working with Nick, and we also talk about the Chicago music scene. I had a lot of fun chatting with Johnny. I feel like we are kindred spirits. Johnny strikes me as a hardworking, humble guy. Very appreciative of what he and his bandmates have been able to do and accomplish, and I really admire that. So without further ado, please enjoy this wide-ranging combo with Mr. Johnny Hamlin, guitarist and vocalist for Lights Over Bridgeport. started doing these interviews via Zoom, I went ahead and just upgraded my Zoom so that we wouldn't have any time limit issues. Because I figured that would probably be the least professional thing. I'm interviewing somebody and then all of a sudden time's yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. My worst nightmare. So yeah. How are you doing today, man? I'm good. I'm good. I actually, I don't normally do this, but I went on a, a jog this morning. I'm not a, a regular cardio guy, but I just felt inspired between, it's mostly the nice weather and it's something I've been wanting to do for a while. And I just I just had no excuses today. So I just went and got it done. Cool. And the endorphin burst is pretty nice. So yeah, it's perfect so, right before an interview, right? That's great. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a little jacked up on black coffee as usual. So that's a part of it too. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I couldn't help but notice in the description for Lights Over Bridgeport, it said black coffee, punk rock. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was really yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's a big yeah, thing for us. Yeah, that's rad. We definitely love our coffee in this household as well. So I definitely I share that same sentiment. And you're in Chicago, right? Correct. Yep. Cool. So starting off right out of the gate, it seems like you guys have an affinity and a love for Chicago where you guys, I'm assuming, grew up in at least some of the time. Maybe you guys are imports too and haven't lived there your whole lives. But I'd love to hear maybe 
your thoughts on reminiscing of a favorite venue because there's so many great venues and iconic venues in Chicago. Are you near Fireside Bowl or the Metro or any of those big iconic places? Well, I'm here on the South Side in Bridgeport, which is far from a lot of the cool stuff that people know about Chicago. I mean, we have our own sort of like niche cool parts of Bridgeport, but the closest venue that I'm to, well, there's a couple that are close to me. Talia Hall is pretty close to me in Pilsen. My favorite venue in the city is Bottom Lounge. Yeah. Kind of just in, in the West Loop there. That's my favorite place. Best sound. Just a great vibe there. Probably the Metro is like the most iconic. And certainly it's always been like my bucket list item to play Metro. Not a lot of people know this about me, but we've been so blessed to play so many killer venues in the city and have had so many insane experiences, but I've actually never played a show at Metro. You know, it's like, oh, it's cool. like a holy place, you know, but uh, that's up on the north side with all the cool kids. So, um, <laughs> and so is Fireside. So I played a show back there way back in the day, way, way back. But yeah, it's been a while since I've been over there. And I think they still pre-pandemic were having shows, but I'm not sure about the story there. I think the last time I went to a show there was probably like 2014, 2015. I saw Appleseed cast there. Oh, cool. Um, and they just like roasted my face off. Like it was extremely loud. Loud. It was glorious. They're a surprisingly loud live band, right? Yes, yeah. They're from right where I'm sitting right now. I'm in Lawrence, That's Kansas. Right. That's right. And interesting yeah. thing about that band, didn't they relocate from California to Lawrence, Kansas? I believe so. I think a couple of their members definitely are from elsewhere. Okay. They were always known as a Lawrence band. They got kind of lumped in with that group of yeah. bands back in the late 90s, early 2000s. But I do believe... I want to say their singer. He's from the West Coast. Yeah, I don't. I, I thought I read that somewhere, but what a just incredible band! I mean, I've loved, loved that band for like twenty years. I mean, they're just amazing. No one like yeah. them. Yeah, there's a small venue here in Lawrence that's kind of lesser known to some of the other ones. It was called the Jackpot Saloon, and the last show I went to see there was the Appleseed cast. Oh, nice. It was probably about 10 years ago now. It was a long time ago, but I remember thinking, man, it's so loud in here because it was a tiny venue and they just had it cranked. Yeah, I've seen them a few times and I don't remember like prior times them being insanely loud. I mean, it definitely loud, but at this fireside show, it was extremely loud. <laughs> it was awesome. It was awesome. That's rad. It may just be the size of the venue too because the jackpot saloon it's basically a big rectangle it's almost like a big hallway yeah so i i felt as if the sound was just pummeled into you because there wasn't much room for it to go yeah same thing with fireside and it's kind of like a have you ever been there we didn't play there but we went there a long time ago i was in bands in the early 2000s and we toured okay. chicago quite a bit and i yeah. remember going there i don't think we ever played there Though we never really got a chance to play any of the big venues in Chicago. It was usually at a skate park or a house okay. show or something. Okay, cool. Yeah, but at, at Fireside, like where they have the shows sort of like just adjacent to where the lanes are, it's just a long rectangle. So when you're facing the stage, there's just these two giant speakers. And yeah, I was getting pummeled by one of those things. And I, it was probably the same volume as all the 88 Fingers Louis shows I went to back in those days that... <laughs> <laughs> you know, probably took a few years off my eardrum lifespan, but for whatever reason, I just remember that night. It was just, it was pummeling. <laughs> Worth it, right? <laughs> oh, dude, totally. We may regret it in a couple of decades, but that's okay. The way I, I'm, I'm a guitar player is, like you, so yeah. I've been a lot of time in front of speakers, loudspeakers, loud amplifiers. Well, and same, obviously, and it's the way I look at it is like I, 
I'll deal with that when I get to it. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade the joy that any of that music has brought me for anything, you know? Same. Yeah, for sure, man. Well, thanks for agreeing to do this, dude. I've been wanting to talk to you for a little while. I think we connected originally on Facebook. Yeah. I think you, you responded to one of my posts that had very little to do with like <laughs> this type of stuff, but still cool that we have that connection there. You like to lift, which is pretty cool. I Are do. you a power lifter? Is that what you like doing? Well, I thought you might ask me that. And I've been thinking about how I would, would an- answer that question. <laughs> what I would say is that I have enjoyed training in the powerlifting style for about the last five or six years. And that's still kind of like the the gym sort of path that I follow. But as of the recent few years, it's become increasingly evident on several levels that I'm not necessarily a serious power lifter. The powerlifting scene has like exploded in the last five or six years. Yeah. Um, I guess that's kind of how I got into it. For and me, just for context, powerlifting, it's a form of weightlifting just for the listeners. Cause some people might hear the term powerlifting and that might sound, Oh, totally. I don't know, even more intense than it really is, but it just means you're really focusing on the big three, what we consider to be the big three lifts. So squat, okay. deadlift and bench. Correct. You're okay. focusing on those three lifts and the objective is to obtain the highest weight total across those three lifts in competition as is possible. So everything about your training is oriented toward maximizing the weight that you're lifting up for those core three lifts. And during a, a powerlifting meet, when you actually compete, which I've done two of those, you, you just will... did one, right? No, actually, the last one I did was in March of 2018. So it's been a oh, while. Okay. It's been a minute. Maybe I'm conflating two different people, but I thought I saw that you were at a meet a few weeks ago. It's probably, it was maybe a flashback post or something, but I, you know, a lot of, my, a lot of the people that I, I lift with at the gym, at the gym I go to, they're actively competing. And, and when I was sharing that, I've, I've realized I may not be like a serious powerlifter, quote unquote. I just, it's just because in the powerlifting scene, people get pretty intense about just numbers and training systems, training philosophies, and they get very, very sort of granular about the approach. And I, I mean, that's a wonderful thing, but sort of like the more technical, I guess is the word that I'm looking for, the more technical that I have to get in the gym, the less fun that I start having. So that's kind of why uh, this one reason why, you know, I have not necessarily been training for a meet in the back of my mind. I, I think I'd like to do another one one day to try to improve, but you know, there are just other things that I like to do as well. And, and to really excel like toward that goal of getting your your best total it's it's really something that you have to commit to like full on and yeah god bless all the people that are doing that but for me a big component of it is just feeling good about like the way i look feeling good about how i feel the challenge of it the mental aspects so i don't necessarily need to be chasing a a meet day to achieve all of that Yeah, absolutely. Because even when you're doing powerlifting and your goal is to increase that weight over time, it's like you said, granular is a really good word for it because you have to really pay attention to the details. You got to pay attention to the percentages of what you're comfortably lifting and then very systematically and methodically slowly find ways to trick your body into getting stronger. right? Right. So you might spend six weeks at 80 to 90% your one rep max and you're doing sets of two sets of three potentially. Mm -hmm. And then you test your weight. When you come back to it, you max out again after a certain period of time. Sometimes it's it's shorter than that. Sometimes it's longer than that. And then the hope is that you've gotten stronger over time. And I follow a lot of 
I guess you would call them more traditional bodybuilding coaches, even though they're right. leaning more towards the newer. We really, really hammer down on scientific principles and evidence-based yeah, yeah. information. And they'll say things like, forget his name, but there's a really smart guy from Australia that I follow. And he talked about the differences between powerlifting and traditional bodybuilding. And I hope I don't botch it here for the podcast, but he says that when you're powerlifting, you're trying to make the distance from point A to point B with the weight as easy as possible. Whereas with traditional bodybuilding, you may be doing the opposite. You may be trying to make it as difficult as possible because you're really trying to get that contraction, that breakdown mm -hmm. of the muscle tissue, that lactic acid buildup. And then hopefully you're creating enough stimulus so that the muscles then grow bigger and denser and stronger. And just by proxy of lifting heavy things, you're going to be doing that, but mm -hmm. it's a little bit different when you're just training specifically for strength, right? Right. Training right. for size and traditional bodybuilding is going to be a little bit different than powerlifting. And I think that's, like you said, that's different than going to the gym because it's fun and you just want to feel good, look right. good, get all the benefits that are associated with just punching the clock and lifting for an hour and then going home. Right. right? So I guess all that to say, are you transitioning more towards bodybuilding or are you still, Well, is it kind well, of a mixture? Yeah, I, to be honest, I don't know what the hell I'm doing right now uh, because because I'm 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 sort of in a place where I'm a big part of why I'm doing the powerlifting thing has to do with one my initial interest in it, but two when I moved here into the city it was about five years ago. A big reason why I moved to this neighborhood was because there's a gym here that's very 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 important to me. It's a special place for me, you know, it, right here in my neighborhood, and and that gym is sort of oriented toward that way. So, but, but I'm also kind of going through this process where I'm realizing that, you know, I might be interested to try different things. I actually started my gym journey doing more of a bodybuilding style of training. I used to follow guys like Michael Hearn and Rich Gaspari yeah. and, you know, the Arnold stuff. And I used to be really into that. And that helped me because I was never into this stuff growing up. I, I grew up like a fat kid and I, you know, uh, wasn't healthy. I just you know played in bands, drank beer, whatever. And then it was in my twenties that I kind of got into it and wanted to better myself. And so yeah. it was after kicking around with the basics after a long time that I found the powerlifting thing back in 2014. So I'm just in kind of a weird place right now where um, I still enjoy having that structure to my training but there's also anyone that spends a lot of time in the gym knows the danger and being in a comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sort of in this comfort zone where I'm just kind of doing that because I've been doing it. But but there are also elements of it that I, I don't know that I enjoy quite the way that I used to. So, I mean, I've thought of doing things like Muay Thai or, or Jiu Jitsu. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just different stuff. I don't know. I mean, one of the things that I miss about doing a bodybuilding style lift session is just that feeling, like you said, of just going in, focusing on the contractions and just getting like a really good pump in and just yeah. feeling like, and feeling like I had like a really good lift. Whereas I could go into the gym for a powerlifting day, which in, in, a, in many sense won't be that different. It's just, mm -hmm. you know, it's different in some ways. It's the same in others as far as the type of exercises that you're doing. But it's like, if I just don't hit that number, I'm a squatter. I always say like, I'm a pusher, not a puller. Some people are really good at deadlifts. I mean, mm -hmm. it's kind of like the, the, the lift you'll see on Instagram more than anything else. Yeah. I love to squat and I love to bench. So if I don't hit my deadlift number in a day, it's just like, instead of being proud of like the two hours that I just put in, I'll just be like so angry that I didn't <laughs> hit my number. And after a while that just becomes like, you know, it just, you sort of like weigh the cost benefits. Like, okay, 
I, I still did all this work. Like I need to feel, I need to feel good about it instead of just being pissed. So <laughs> yeah, that's totally fair, man. It's just like with my clients when they might have a specific weight loss target or fat loss target and they'll do a good job being in a calorie deficit all week. And then they get to that scale and that scale doesn't exactly represent the number that they're accustomed to seeing losing two to three pounds per week, the first couple of yeah. weeks or something. Yeah. I can definitely understand that. Cause you want to set your, it's all about neurochemistry. You want to set yourself up to feel like you're succeeding, yes. you know, and well, powerlifting is a different animal because there's going to be some days where you're going to be listening to that biofeedback. You're going to be listening to your body and it's going to go, okay, today might not be the best deadlift day. Right. You know, I may not want to push it to my absolute max, but there's certain days where I'll go in and I'll deadlift. I'm doing sets of 10 of 135 and just going easy. Didn't get as much sleep last night, so we're going to take it easy today. I think that's where it has a little bit more flexibility sometimes, yeah. whereas with those granular details, you're really trying to hit those. I've heard of people talking about listening to biofeedback, and maybe if you're grinding out those conventional deadlift days, maybe it's a better idea to do sumo deadlifts that day and change it up a little bit, and maybe that would feel better. Right. So yeah, there's a lot of details there, but... Totally. And there's so much I could say piggybacking off of that. I mean, one of the things that I was thinking as you were sharing some of that was that that sort of reward system that you get for seeing the number that you want. Early on when I tried powerlifting, that was a huge thing for me. I mean, you're talking, like I said, I grew up a fat kid. I was never in the gym. So, and, and even if you would have told me when I was well into my weightlifting journey that I would be, you know, trying to squat 300 pounds at one point, I would have been like, you're crazy. I would have been, <laughs> that doesn't even sound good to me. But once I started doing it, and this is, I guess, what I love about powerlifting is that process where you are going through and doing something that and challenging yourself to do something that you maybe didn't think that you could do. And, and that's like a, a drug, yeah. um, but it tapers off over time. And then going back to it, another thing that you said with respect to your client's diet goals, like once I started with powerlifting and I was chasing those numbers and trying to get as strong as I could, like I said, that was a big reward incentive. But one of the biggest reasons I work out is to feel good about the way that I look. And mm -hmm. an interesting thing sort of happened as I stepped from the bodybuilding into the powerlifting world is that in the powerlifting world, the, the sort of the diet is not necessarily as strict. Sometimes it is, but it's more about fuel mm -hmm. than it is about macro content, let's say. Right. And I started noticing I had gotten to a point doing the bodybuilding style training that I was at my leanest that I've ever been. And I started noticing that I was getting away during my powerlifting workouts with a little bit more carbs. But slowly that turned into a little bit more and a little bit more. And then, yeah. you know, it wasn't just the carbs, it was the calories. And I noticed that for a while I could cheat more and I remained lean because yeah. I was shocking my body with all this new movement. I was building this new muscle and all this stuff in my body was changing, but then I hit a plateau. So where I'm going with all this is just to say another thing that sort of got me sort of staggering a little bit with the powerlifting journey is that. I gained the COVID-15, maybe the COVID-20 like everybody else. And mm -hmm. I have found that, you know, that style of training is not helping, is no longer helping keep me at my leanest, which a lot of that has to do with diet. So I don't want to yeah. blame the powerlifting. But again, it all comes from where my mindset went when I, you know, started deadlifting 405. And I said, well, I'm just going to eat all the potatoes tonight because I just need them, right? But, yeah. it, you know, then it just sort of becomes, well... I didn't even have a heavy deadlift day 
but I'm still just accustomed to eating all the potatoes and it starts to to bite you in the ass. (laughs) Well, you can be a lot more lenient, right? Because like you said, you need that fuel. You need those carb sources to get that glucose to facilitate the lifts that you're doing. And you have a little bit more leeway too. That's the thing. Sometimes it's never a good idea to try to chase what you're consuming with exercise where you're saying, oh, well, I had a rough diet day so I can just work out harder in the gym the next day. But powerlifting, you really do put those calories to work. Yes. Well, yeah. and I, I, I've seen you, and Kyle, I have to pay you a compliment, like in a day and age where I'm probably more like burnt out on social media than ever before, you are still putting such good content out there. And I don't mean like you're running a great Instagram account. I mean, like you're actually sharing information that's helpful and positive with people. And we need that so bad right now. And I, <laughs> well, and thanks, I, I, that's amazing, dude. And I feel like I've heard you talk about that before about that whole, like, don't do the whole equation where you're like, well, if I run the mile, I can eat the bagel. I completely agree. And there was a time that I, you know, adopted that mindset. It's kind of one of those like common gym sort of Uh, entres, but I completely agree. You need to be way more dialed into the consistency overall with your diet than doing this sort of like self reprimand and punishment system for like every meal that you eat. Like that's just not productive. So I love that you're putting that message out there. Well, thanks, man. I really appreciate that. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. It is something that I think is baked into the culture. You know, we assume if we eat the Oreo, we have to, you know, we have to earn it. No, that's not how it goes, you know? And and that's the thing when we take active participation in our health in some capacity and we consistently do exercise, it's okay to have your favorite foods every once in a while. That's completely fine. You know, we want to develop a healthy eating style and a flexible eating style because that means it'll be sustainable over time. Right. Yeah, for sure, man. And that's a huge point. And it's a problem, right? If you think about it in terms of, I love how you said, you know, baked into the culture for somebody who's not accustomed to, you know, weightlifting or making better nutrition choices, like all of these things are intimidating or they're obstacles to folks that want to better themselves. And they come into this mindset of deprivation or this mindset of like, that, that's just intimidating. And, you know, I've, I've mentioned it a couple of times now, but I had to go through a lot of mental changes to even give the gym a try or to give different dieting strategies a try because I was just, you know, some regular dude that never messed with that stuff, was never into sports, was never athletic. So all of that stuff was intimidating to me. So keying in on those messages is so critical to really help people to be better and to do better. So I love that. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Yeah. It sounds like we had similar trajectories because I wasn't really into lifting at all in high school. They had a weightlifting class and I took team sports my last semester of high school. And it was literally the gym class where you go bowling once a week. (laughs) Okay. And we had a blast. It was so much fun. I was in there with all my friends and we were just doing it because we had to have that one gym credit. Yeah. So you mentioned 88 Fingers Louie earlier. So a classic, great band. Do you mind if I ask how old you are? I just turned 39. Oh, okay, cool. Not to change the subject, but that's another factor with my whole training journey. It's like, (laughs) you know, I still feel pretty damn good, but it's like, it's not the same as when I was 29. So, you know, adjust training accordingly. But yeah. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I mean, it makes sense, right? We all have to do that at some point. I think even in your 30s, you have to adapt. And that's when I started lifting. I started lifting when I was about 30, or I guess it was just before 30, late okay. 20s. But that's awesome. You don't look 39. You look good for your age, man. Uh-huh. That's the other great thing about lifting, right? It's like the fountain of youth. That Thank punk you, rock. man. I, I inherited my mother's baby face jeans. So a shout out to Doris. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Cool. So you probably, I mean, you've seen it all then. You're 39. Did you grow up on Fat Wreck and Epitaph? Uh, I don't know. A little bit. I was definitely into that stuff. Do you want me to just kind of share my little musical trajectory or? Yeah, go for it. Uh, Whatever so- you want to share. I, when I first heard your band, I heard it was a mixture of, you guys definitely have your own sound. And it was one of the records that I listened to the most last year. I was listening to a lot of oh, much wow. the same. And then I was just kind of paying attention to what Nick was up to. And this record came out and I was like, wow, this record's really cool. And that first song, there's a lot of dynamics in the record, but the first half of the record, you guys have a lot of really fast beats, which yeah, just immediately hooks me because it just takes me back to that place where I'm listening to all of these bands from the late 90s into the early 2000s. Sure. It reminded me of Melancholin and 10 Foot Pole and- oh sure. Even a band like Rise Against, you know, and 88 yeah. years away. So what did you grow up on? Well, I started, let me try to provide a concise answer here. So I started out with music very young and it was, you know, something I shared with my dad and listened to all his records and Beatles stuff, a lot of the soul, Motown and all that stuff. And then the first bands that I sort of kind of got into on my own was like Metallica, Van Halen. This was like when I was in grade school. And then when I got into middle school, so I started middle school in 93, 94, I think. And that's like just when the whole grunge thing was exploding. So I was Mm -hmm. in that for a time, but some point in seventh grade, I got exposed to Black Flag, Circle Jerks, Misfits. Misfits are one of my all-time favorites. Biggest, biggest, I mean, there's probably no bigger influence on me in terms of all my friends at that age, we got together and, and just learned all Misfit songs together. My buddy in, in middle school, he had this, his dad played in a cover band. So he had all this music gear downstairs, like a full setup, like drum kit, bass, guitar, everything. And we just learned all the songs on Collection 1, Collection 2. And that's just like how I came up obsessed with, you know, Misfits and, and that kind of thing. So that stuff is like really special to me. And certainly there's a component of like songwriting that I definitely got from the Misfits too. But that was like how I started with punk. And then also at that same time, there's that yet yeah, my seventh grade year was when Green Day Dookie, Weezer Blue, Rancid Outcome the Wolves. And yeah. that those three records were the records that I had started to play guitar like when I was in fifth grade, but I started to play by ear to those albums in seventh grade. And that's where things took off. I immediately wanted to write my own music. And then shortly after that, I got into Face to Face, which Big Choice came out in 94. And that, you know, Face to Face would be probably like my 1A, definitely my favorite punk band of all time. They, that was immediately something special to me. So when you talk about the fast beats with LOB and uh, the stuff that we're doing, it's basically just like a cross hybrid between Face to Face and just that driving influence for me. And the next favorite band that I came across when I was 18, which is Jimmy Eat World, which to this day is my all-time favorite band. I was looking at my social media memories. It was four years ago today that I, I met Jim Adkins at like 1 a.m. in Bloomington, Indiana after a, a club show. That's that rad. Like one of the greatest days of my life. But so that's how I got started with the punk. And to answer your question, I was definitely into the punk comp. 
that came out that like everybody yeah. listened to and survival of the fattest survival of the fattest was probably the biggest one and that had propaganda on it nation states pennywise we got into all of that stuff going to warp tour back in the day the first time yeah. i saw face to face i've told this story a million times was at warp tour 96 i was 14 and i just saw them playing and i'm like it was like <laughs> i don't even know how to put it into words i'm like i this is what i want to do as all i've ever wanted to do was I want to be these guys. Like, I want to play in my own punk band. Let's rip it, you know? So yeah. it was just like this holy moment for me. I was also into stuff like Bouncing Souls, Screeching Weasel. Those were like massive bands. Bouncing Souls was one of the biggest bands on my punk trajectory. And they're not exactly like a, I mean, I guess you could say they're kind of a part of the fat thing, but, but kind of not. Uh, they're more like an Epitaph band, but obviously being the whole yeah. East Coast thing. Yeah, so, and they were on so, Epitaph. Right, right. And there were some bands that were doing that fat thing that I got like strung out is probably yeah. top five or six all time. But I wasn't necessarily into every fat or epitaph band. It was just kind of like bad religion. I loved, you know, so it's kind of a mix. But 88 was something I gravitated to for sure, because they were doing that stuff and they were doing it right here where I lived. And God bless them for just having this really awesome, gnarly kind of take on it because they have the fast beats and everything, but it's not at all. I mean, not at all, like just sort of like the homogenized not to be negative, but that sort of like fat hom homogeny, like they yeah. have their own lane and it's just, it was just beautiful for a kid growing up, you know, going to Fireside back in those days. Absolutely, man. They were legends in the Chicago oh, totally. scene. From what I hear, there's people that would come down from Canada to see them play and they had kind of a mixture of a lot of the music that was kind of exploding around that time, which was the really fast skate punk. But then you had these heavy metal influences yeah. Yeah. tethered in there as well. Yeah. That's why I gravitated towards them in bands like Strung Out because they had riffs and I was a guitar yes. player. You're a guitar player. You probably connected to those guitar riffs and stuff. Totally, man. And it was it was not just the guitar angle, but it was just the fact that I started, like I said, with Metallica, another one of my all time favorites. And one of my things with Metallica has always been it wasn't so much that they were the heaviest band or the fastest band they became like otherworldly because they just wrote the most incredible songs. And a part of that was the riffs that they wrote were so good. Yeah. And it was just, they were like total earworms. And, you know, when punk bands can incorporate that the right way, I mean, Strung On and 88 are two great examples. Propaganda is another that can yeah. just like riff, but it doesn't sound token or just sort of like mailed in. Oh, yeah. dude, it's for guys like you and I, we just, we just eat that up. <laughs> it's ear candy for sure. You're exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Chris from Propagandi, I respect and admire him more today. Going back and listening to some of those songs that maybe I didn't necessarily, it sounded complicated and it sounded, he was definitely doing riffs, but there's so much texture in some of yeah. those early Propagandi songs. And it's not something as immediate as like a strung out song where you can hear every note very melodic and it's a guitar harmony that they're playing there's a lot of textury guitars in those yeah. propagandi songs I, he's still doing it today like he's still kind of pushing the envelope i listen to new propagandi albums and i'm just blown away yeah, man, they're they're in a in a world like a class of all their own sure. i have nothing but the highest praise for that band they completely blow my mind they continue to get better I grew up with their early records, but supporting cast, it's pretty hard for me to argue against that being, at least it's my favorite, but the, the writing, the technical proficiency, and another thing that I don't know if gets really like heralded enough about that band is 
just probably flat out the best live band I've ever seen. Certainly the best live punk band I've ever seen. I mean, they are just unreal, unreal how tight they are and how, how good they sound. Yeah. Um, they are just a total treasure. I love that band. You want to hear a quick story? Crazy story? Of course so I do. They're on my bucket list. I've never seen them live. Oh, really? And yeah. I've been really fortunate. I've seen a lot of bands live, but Propagandi is one of the few that I haven't mm-hmm. seen live. They were supposed to come to Lawrence, Kansas once. And I'm actually from Kansas City. So Lawrence and Kansas City, they're about 40, 45 minutes apart from each other. I was going to ask about that. I don't know how close they were. Yeah, they're pretty close. And as a kid, as a teenager, I was always driving out to Lawrence to go to shows because there's probably just as many iconic venues in Lawrence as there are in Kansas City, but it's basically the same market. So you have people that book shows at both. And Propagandi, the last time they were going to come either to Lawrence or Kansas City, as far as I know, they haven't been to either place since, but they were supposed to come to Lawrence 20 years ago this year. Oh, wow. I don't know if you can guess the date, but the date was September 11th, 2001. They were supposed to play in Lawrence, Kansas. Really? Yeah. And I have a, I, I feel I have like a big I've heard poster. That story. Go ahead. I just, I have a big poster and it says at the bottom that big September 11th, 2001. Oh, wow. It's so, crazy. So I feel like I've heard the story of them being on tour when 9-11 happened, but I did not know that it was on that date. So that show was just canceled. They just canceled day. it. Yeah. We, I remember I was in school that day and of course it was this crazy, hectic, heavy, just nuts of the day, but yeah, they canceled it pretty early. I remember calling the venue just to confirm that they had canceled mm-hmm. it and they had, but for whatever reason, I had a promotional poster for the show Empire. that never happened. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> but that was the one time they were supposed to come and they're still on my bucket list. Even today, there's Highly been so many times where I want to just drive as far as I need to go to see him play. But yeah, I highly recommend. I've, I've not seen them a ton of times, but I've had the good fortune of seeing them. I think it twice, definitely one time uh, at bottom lounge, which I, I mentioned being my favorite venue and the sound in there is just absolutely incredible. And it's just such an experience. I mean, they're just they are killers, man. They're killers. Yeah, I believe it. Doesn't surprise me in the least bit. Better this way. So your record, you had already worked with Nick before on an EP, right? We have done all of our records with him since 2013. So there are, let's see, boy, I should know this. Two EPs. Two EPs and a full uh, Actually, no, three EPs. So okay. Trenches, if you want to, that's a seven song. So I guess it's technically an EP. Uh, and then Better This Way. So we've done four records with him. Yep. That's awesome. So you guys are friends, you know each other, you feel comfortable working with each other. Oh, big time. Yeah, we've been You're wearing a Sweller friends. shirt. I am. Yeah, of course. I'm part of the Swell Dog Army. Uh, <laughs> That's friend. right. Uh, yeah, definitely. When it comes to like more sort of modern or recent, more recent, quote unquote, punk bands, you know, the Swellers are one of our favorites, certainly one of mine. Ups and Downsizing is in my top 10 records of all time, for sure. And that obviously is what led us to seek out his services. I would say the members of Lights Over Bridgeport, we're all into punk, but we have kind of our own taste. But that's like one band that we all love. Strung Out, Jimmy World, Coheed, Art of Others, but Polar yeah. Bear Club. That Swellers was like... Uh, even that album, you know, was it just, it was a big driving factor for us in terms of like pressing on at one point and 
trying to be better. So yeah, we're huge fans and we've been fortunate to become friends with Nick through working with him. So great dude. I've had many conversations with him via social media and Instagram and stuff. I actually interviewed his brother a few months ago, Jono. Super nice guy. Seems like really cool dudes and very creative, very hardworking. What is it that made you want to go back to him? You worked with him once and then you guys obviously had a good experience. So what is it that makes you want to keep going back to him? Is it just that familiarity or does he push you guys? It's a lot of things for, I'd say the biggest thing that jumps out to me, you know, the familiarity emerges over time, but the biggest thing for me has been the work that we've done on vocals. He is, yeah, a lot of it obviously comes from his own experience, but he is like a master sensei at production during vocal recording has helped me so much get better at uh, not so much like hitting notes, but I guess at times maybe, but more so just like delivery. Yeah. And he also is such an asset for helping us make decisions about certain things when we're recording. And definitely, I think connecting with him as a friend was also a big part of of why we love working with him so much. But we kind of work with him and this guy, Mark Mahalik, who actually lives here in Chicago. He's from Michigan and knew Nick growing up, but Mark Mark does all the drums and then we go to Nick's to record everything else. But yeah, it's just Nick's production talents are through the roof. He's just so good at working with bands and every step of the process. He's so good at like making sure that you're doing your best and getting your best, but sort of managing not being too like micromanagey, not to use the word manage too much. (laughs) I'm just trying to spit it all out here, but yeah, he's just like, he's really good at striking that balance of, of sort of like demanding good performances, but also like keeping it authentic, letting things breathe a little bit. He didn't pay me to say all this, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's probably a big part of production, right? Process of elimination. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's not about addition so much as it is subtraction. And I feel like a lot of your songs do have the moments to breathe. And so do... So do the Swellers, really. Like, I listen to those records, and they're not too jam-packed. Sometimes yeah. I'll listen to records, and it feels like it's too much, you know? You've got that call, response, vocal going constantly. And more power to people who are using that technique. If they've got more than one singer, it might work in their favor. But there are moments where I feel like your songs breathe, and you can tell that was a deliberate choice. Yeah, and your vocals sure. sound rad. Your vocals sound pristine on this record. Oh, wow. That's Thanks, great. man. I went back and listened to your other EPs because my first introduction to you guys was better this way. And I like the EPs a lot too. I listened to those a bunch in my space over the last few weeks. And I can definitely hear the upgraded production, even just in better this way. Your voice sounds awesome. It sounds like you've found that range where your voice shines the best as far as where you sing. Okay. Because you go a little bit higher on... I think some of the songs on some of the EPs, which is cool because you've got that grit in your voice. Mm Mm-hmm. And then on Better This Way, the highest note you hit is maybe that G. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to identify the, the notes in, in the vocals. <laughs> I'm but guessing. I, I will say that, thank you for the compliment. I, I do, looking back on the journey, when it comes to Better This Way, super proud of the way the vocals came out. Really labored <laughs> during those days and uh, very, very happy with it. So I really appreciate you picking that out. Sure. Does Nick do all the drums with Mark on all of his projects or was that just for you guys? 
I think early on in Nick's recording career, that was more of like a regular thing, but I don't know that it occurs as much anymore. I don't know that Mark does as much. I guess he kind of does, but he kind of does like a lot of his own stuff. Like Mark actually works a lot with Evan with Into It Over It and yeah. Symmetry. Uh, Mark does a lot of stuff with Evan. You know, Nick, I, Nick's not a part of that. So, but at the time, as I'm recalling, like at the time we started working with them, that was kind of like the the pitch that Nick suggested to us. Like, why don't you do the drums with Mark? And Mark is just like, I mean, I sang Nick's praises, but he is just, this guy's like a total genius in terms of just audio and, and mixing. And our drummer absolutely loves working with him. And Mark is a drummer himself. So he's 20 levels of great when it comes to tracking drums. So I don't know how much they're doing together these days, but they used to definitely do a lot together. Cool. That's rad. That's awesome. It's cool that you guys can have that collaborative environment. Lots of people working in and helping you guys make your vision come to fruition. Did you guys do a bunch of pre-pro? For the record or how did that work did you do it with nick we've done that before but for this particular album honestly we didn't for trenches we did we were doing some recording at our practice spot but the process for writing and recording better this way was interesting and sort of challenging in that our guitar player at the time moved to houston and he has since moved back to Houston. He came back to Chicago and now has moved back. But just explaining that we, I wrote a lot of material for that record and we had to build it not while we were all together. And then he had a lot of catch up work to when he could be with us to learn the songs and have his input on the songs, which he's a big part of that too. So that was a probably a big circumstance why we didn't, but also We've come to trust ourselves pretty well. Fortunate that I've been playing with my guys for a long time. And what we're doing, we're not really expanding into like a string section. And I'm making a joke and then, you know, Ian played strings on the record. So I guess we are. <laughs> but, you know, it's pretty straightforward. We do what we do. I don't want to say one trick pony, but it's just a matter of getting the parts down. So we felt confident going in and I'm very proud of the record. So. Yeah, that's really great. That says a lot for the songs that you wrote too, because I think my biggest problem, and maybe it would be different now because I don't spend a lot of time writing music now. Like I said, I was in bands back in the early to late 2000s. But one thing that I struggled with was when you start writing a song, you don't know what the ideal key should be. You've been singing in your head voice, the chorus melody idea, and then you start singing it out loud, that higher octave, that's way too high, you know? And then that's what I always felt like pre-pro was good for, pre-production, was just determining exactly where it needs to fit, what lane, so that the okay. notes feel it's within your registry. Because some people sing really, really high and some people don't as much. You mentioned Green Day earlier. Green Day is one of my favorite bands. He knows his lane. He doesn't yeah. really venture out. He's not hitting those high A's ever, you know, unless he's doing yeah. like a falsetto thing. I feel like he's really experimented with it the last couple of records more than anything. Yeah. But you listen to Dookie, he knows where his voice needs to sit. Totally. And I think some people are really good at that. And then I was always really bad at that. It was a situation yeah. where I needed to really demo it first to hear it and then shift it where it needed to go. We use the writing process and, and any pre-production that we've done as an opportunity to do some of that. But for us, I think it's been more like an editing thing where we're figuring out, okay, are we going to strike this part or what, you know, what ending do we need? here. I tried to do most of the vocal range stuff during the initial writing ideas because the way that I put a song together, it always starts with, okay, where's the hook? Where's the vocal? How's this melody going to go? Like, that's what I love the most about songwriting. It's not really about yeah. like, 
certain lyrics or certain themes that always comes toward later part of the process for me. So, so do you write the melodies first? Yeah, generally it's like I've got either a verse or a chorus and then I've got a hook melody that I'm playing in my head and I'm demoing on my phone. And now I have a very modest little recording setup at home. Cool. To, so I'm doing a little bit with that. But the other part of that, Kyle, is that we 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 play in this drop tuning. It's like a C, drop C sharp. And there are times where we're not playing in that key and I'm looking at, okay, are the vocals going to work here? But that sort of like puts us in a certain box when it comes to the vocal range. And yeah, uh, that and helps, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't sort of intend to use that tuning for that purpose, but we've just sort of made it work. It's yeah. You know, no, it's cool, man. The guitar sound awesome on the record. And it actually makes sense that it's on a uh, lower registry there because I can tell it just, it gives it a different type of warmth to the guitars. Yeah. The last band that I was in, we did an open C. That's what I played in. That's what I wrote all the songs in. Yeah. And it was drop D just down a full step where I could literally like strum every string and it sure. would sound good. Just that open no, that to me. That's the same thing we do. We have open C sharp. That's our tuning. Rad. Okay, cool. It, it's very strange for people. And it's honestly, it's very strange for me, but it's just like something I picked up a long, long time ago. And I've always, you know, I love the punk rock and I love the fast beats and all that stuff. But one of my favorite bands becoming an old man here and up for a long time now is the band Hum. Bands like Hum, Deftones, or obviously Jimmy Eat World, they can create these atmospheres with layers of melody. So I've always tried to include that with Lights Over Bridgeport where I can. Then there are other times where I'm trying to go more like down the lane punk. But, you know, we, we like to have a little bit of that for sure. Yeah, Hum is so good. That new record. Oh my gosh. Dude, it, it completely... It just completely leveled me, man. Yeah. I, I think it's, I pretty confidently feel like I can say after a year, it's probably in my top 20 albums of all time. Wow. And yeah. It's to, a great to think, record. To think that that could happen at my old dinosaur age, like <laughs> just, it, it feels wrong to say, but it is just, I'm a huge fanboy of that record. I mean, it's, it's rad just being able to find new music at our age. I was always told that in your 30s, that's when you stop listening to new music. Yeah, yeah. That's the cutoff age where you're just listening to everything you've already listened to before. Yeah. I almost want to prove that sentiment wrong. Every Friday, I immediately get on release radar. What's new? You know, I want to listen. That's awesome, to man. Dude, that home record just came out of left field too. You know, I know they've been working right. on it for 17 years or something. But there was no tease at all. It just like, boom, it just dropped out of yeah. nowhere. And I saw it on a lot of top 10 lists at the end of the year, which was cool. So that was probably validating for them. I have this weird connection with Hum. I train two people in person, one of which, I don't know if you've ever listened to the Casket Lottery. I never really listened to them, but I know who they are. You might dig it. It's definitely, it's less punk and more experimental rock, I would say, right. alternative. They just put out a great new record a few months ago. And the two guys that I know, they're friends with each other. And I happen to train them both. And oh, cool. They are good friends with the guys in Hum, and they've worked okay. in his studio before. Oh, wow. And so we spend a lot of time listening to them when we're sick. training and stuff, just because they're good buds with them, and That's they've got sick, some good dude. stories. It would have been really cool if 2020 hadn't occurred the way it did. I'm sure you guys would have been playing more shows, but I think oh, yeah, there would have been some shows with the Casket Lottery and Hum 
maybe even oh, wow. possible tour or something. I was going to say about Casket Lottery. They're like one of those bands that I remember seeing on flyers for like shows that I probably might have gone to see a show that they played at before. Because I went yeah. to college downstate in Indiana. And so, you know, there was like a lot of Deep Elm bands on tour back then. And I remember they played like, you know, indie emo, whatever you want to call it from like the early 2000s, late 90s. Like a lot of those tours, yeah. I remember seeing their name, like Small Bound Bike, bands like that back in those days. But I just never happened to listen to them. But yeah. uh, you might do I would feel, I, t- I try not to get too starstruck, but I would feel so like not worthy, like around the hum guys. Like they're just so, that band is just unbelievable to me, man. They're just yeah. so incredible. And what's really interesting about hum for me is like, I'm not somebody who likes droney music and I don't like long songs either, typically, but they are just, there's just, it's just, there's a sort of magic deliciousness in their melody and heaviness and just, yeah. Give it all to me, bro. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. And even for long songs, some of those songs, they feel as if they're not as long as they are. It might be a five minute song or five minute plus song, but it doesn't really feel like that. I know what you mean. I'm kind of the same way. I've been guilty of the don't bore us, get to the chorus. Yeah, totally. <laughs> oh, totally. But, you know, with a band like that, it's very good lifting music too, because you can just kind of have it in the background but it's heavy and melodic and it's got that intensity and it doesn't feel super droney. It doesn't feel like it's wearing out its welcome too much. Right. For me, they've just always been such an aural experience. Feel is the operative word. When I listen to hum records, I especially love to listen to them on headphones or earbuds. And I like to just completely actively listen because it just, it's such an experience for me. You're immersing yourself in it. I like that. That's cool. He's got a bar where they live. I forget where they're at. They're kind of by you, right? They're up north. I think they're out of it's Champaign, Urbana, right. which is where University of Illinois is. So that's like two and a half hours southwest of Chicago, approximately. Okay, cool. Awesome, man. Have you ever been to KC? I have not. And I was going to mention this. So my guitar player, Miko, he travels for his job. And one of the last times we were catching up, he said that he had gone to Kansas City and it may have been the coolest city he's ever been to. And what's more striking about that is he's not the type of guy to just hand out a compliment like that. Uh, Really? Yeah, he's he's someone that that is not necessarily the easiest to impress, whereas I'm like flipping out over anything that's kind of halfway cool. But he's (laughs) a little more subdued. He said it was awesome. And I would love to check it out, man. I would love to check it out down there. That's cool. Yeah, you should, man. Let me know if you ever come to town. I'll show you around. Kansas City, it's a cool city. It's one of those cities that really burgeoned the last couple decades. They've just been building and building and building stuff. And I always call Kansas City the city with nothing to prove. The city that's like smack dab in the middle of the country. And it doesn't seem like there's a lot going on. But man, people from Kansas City, they really love Kansas City. That sounds right. Lawrence is a great town too. Lawrence is just smaller. It's a college town. Sometimes I think people think of it as an extension of Kansas City. People that are from Kansas City, they travel to Lawrence quite a bit and vice versa. But what are you guys' plans moving forward? I know it's been a chaotic year. You released your record about a year ago, right? Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, The one year birthday for the record is coming up here and dude, less than a week. It was May 22nd. And that's just hard to believe. We didn't really talk about this, but I have to say that, you know, I think COVID was hard on a lot of bands and certainly like a lot of bands that tour or, you know, they sort of exist to support the members' livelihoods definitely had it way harder than we did because it's not like our full-time job or anything. But 
definitely, definitely smoked us like in terms of our ability to be sort of active in any capacity. So even when we had a member living far away, when the world was normal, quote unquote, so to speak, we still were able to do shows like Mika would fly up and we have like a really cool thing here in the city where we can play pretty solid shows and we have pretty good following. But since all of that's gone away, and at least in terms of the live aspect, it's been really hard for us to stay active and engaged. So that's a tough question to answer. You know, I don't regret moving forward with the record. I'm happy we got it out there and it was like a long time coming. But I, to be completely honest, man, I have no idea what the future holds for our band. Right now, you see all over the country, it does seem like a lot of live events are starting to come back. So that's encouraging. But at least as of this moment, it really doesn't seem like the club shows here in the city are too close to coming back. I think yeah. maybe by the fall, but it just it's, it's, early, it's too early to know like what that's going to look like. And so... Until we can kind of get back playing again, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. I definitely have been trying to stay plugged into writing and I want to do more with the band, but it's just going to depend on a lot of stuff. So Sure. Completely understand, man. I mean, it's a chaotic time for sure. And a lot of unanswered questions. I've noticed that I've been seeing more and more shows being announced yeah. For here in the Midwest and my training space, I've got a small space and right next door is a small venue and I love going in there. It's a coffee shop during the day. They've got two businesses and then a half wall that runs in between them, which is cool, but they're starting to have shows again, which is cool. Kind of limited oh, that's capacity. Cool. That's, cool. that's been hopeful, but I definitely understand everything's still up in the air. We're learning as time moves on. Right. Yeah. But, I mean, when all said and done, I would love to get back to it, but there's also the different members of our band are like, they're living their own lives. And like I said, we got one guy that lives far away. So a lot's just going to have to kind of fall into place for us to be able to do it the way that we used to. And I think it's possible, maybe even probable, but still too much unknown to really say definitively for sure. Okay. Yeah. It'd be cool if you guys could get on some festivals. Would like love it. Fest next year. Yeah. Anything one of like the, that. One of the most heartbreaking things for me about the pandemic was kind of like a, an, a, I don't know if I want to say Achilles heel because it's a cool thing that we have, like I said, here in Chicago, like there's a great scene here and we're so like humbled and stoked to be a part of it. But we, what I'm getting at is we've never really been a touring band and that's just mostly just because of life stuff. We all have full-time jobs, but we had a, like a full, well, not full, like a five, six day East coast run that was fully booked. That's where the full word was coming into my head. Yeah. Uh, support the record and that was going to be in june and we had all the dates booked we were going we we're doing like one or two stops in pennsylvania new york i think we had like a baltimore i can't remember but all that went away and it was just super heartbreaking for me because i've you know i've tried at various junctures to sort of take lights over bridgeport to sort of that next level bringing it on the road and we we have some great friends around the country that would love to have us play California, you know, a few other places. I would love to get to them. I mean, the reach for the album was just for a small band like ours, it, it blew my mind. I mean, we, we mailed a lot of records overseas. Uh, we've got people in Canada that want to support us and see us play. So I'd love to get to them, but no one's really doing much of that these days and haven't for a while. Yeah. Logistics, even when there's not a pandemic, right? Right, right. Yeah. I definitely feel you there. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, I think everybody should definitely listen to Better This Way. It's a great record. Every song on it is really great. It's a dynamic record, too. You mentioned Jimmy World, and I hear the dynamics in the record. That's what's always fun to listen to. Oh, you know, a record that kind of takes you on a journey. 
Thank you. Lyrics are great too. You write all the lyrics? Yes. Rad. Awesome. Cool, man. Well, I hope we get more Lights Over Bridgeport music. I'm a new fan. I just discovered your band, but with the record, it still sounds amazing and people should definitely check it out. Is there anything else you'd like to leave with the listeners of the podcast where they can find you? We're on all the main basic social media. You know, we're not posting a whole lot these days because there's just not a whole lot that bands are doing, but you can find us on Facebook, Lights Over Bridgeport, Instagram, Lights Over Bridgeport. On those sites, you'll find links to our merch store, which is open. We would love for you to check us out on Spotify Bandcamp. Appreciate all the love and support. Anybody that might be listening to this that supported the record, I definitely want to thank those folks because, um, particularly during the the pandemic when you know folks were losing jobs and life was going into complete fucking upheaval, yeah. a lot of people really supported us and let us know that the record meant a lot and that blew us away. So I'm so thankful for the opportunity to chat with you, man. Same, dude. This is fun. Yeah. yeah, and I'll definitely stay in touch. You guys have some really cool merch too. I love the old school Nintendo, the shirt that you guys put out a few months ago. That's Thanks, great. Man. We work yeah. really hard at our merch. We have a couple of secret weapons between some amazing artists that we work with. I highly, highly recommend everyone to check out Miguel Echemendia, who's one of our main artists. He's out of Chicago, does killer stuff, but also our guitarist works in the screen printing industry. So we have like, we have some secret weapons to deliver, deliver the threads. That helps. Yeah, it helps a lot. Cool, man. Well, Johnny, dude, this has been a pleasure. And we'll definitely, we'll keep in touch, dude. If you're ever in KC, hit me up. Or Lawrence. You never know. Absolutely, my man. I but appreciate yeah. it. I love I'll, that. I'll, I'll buy you coffee. We'll check out Kansas City. There's a lot of cool stuff and a lot of cool things to see around there. Well, we could get a lift in, too. Yeah, that'd be rad, man. All right, dude. Again, thank you for talking to me on your Sunday. Oh, and for sure. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Have a wonderful week ahead, okay? You too, my man. Thanks, Kyle. All right. Take care, buddy. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. I hope you had a good time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to help the podcast out, if you want to do a massive solid for us here at Having a Blast, if you could just leave us a review, a five-star review would be amazing wherever you listen to podcasts. Or if you just want to recommend this podcast to a friend who might enjoy it. All right. Hope you have a wonderful day. Hope you're having a blast listening to your favorite records. I'll talk to you later. Hey.